welcome back to another episode of Who I Do. I'm Tania. I'm Ashley. And we have a lovely guest on today's episode. Courtney Rose, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tania and Ashley. And um, congratulations to you both on one year of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, the platform you've built is really impressive. And I know I wish that I had this kind of resource available to me when I was planning my own wedding. Um, but I'm so happy that it exists now and really proud of your success. Oh, thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, again, I'm, I'm Courtney Rose Dantas. Um, I'm the owner and lead planner of Dantas and Co Events. We are a boutique wedding planning and wedding management company based in the Metro Washington, D.C. area. And I like to say that uh, we serve the underserved, so modern rule breakers who want their wedding day to be as unique as they are. Um, so we're very inclusive. We love all couples. We celebrate all heritages. And we respect any size budget and have a special place in our hearts for those who want to do things their own way on their wedding day. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Because the wedding industry is so... It can be trite at times. So I love that you are specifically specializing in unique and, you know, personal and very custom weddings. So love that. Love that. Well, before we actually start playing the game of this or that, like how long have you been um, in the wedding industry? Yeah. So I actually fell into wedding planning after planning my own wedding and first opened my business in 2014. But there was a nice transition there. I actually have a background in organizing and logistics and event planning for nonprofit advocacy groups. So just kind of transition nicely into the event and wedding planning world. That makes a lot of sense. Nice. Um, I like it when we talk to guests that had like very seamless transitions because the, you know, the corporate job they had beforehand very much set them up to work in the wedding industry. It's not like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was an engineer for (laughs) seven years and then I decided, you know, it's usually like some, either some level of like event management or marketing or, um, project management that kind of, you know, go from this and then kind of seamlessly begin your wedding industry journey. So love that, love that, love that. All right. Well, now we're going to play a quick game of this or that. Um, Listeners who have been listening for a while are very familiar um, with this game. And essentially it's you pick from this option or that option and tell us why. So We are going to start out with you, Courtney Rose, um, and the first um, that uh, you have to kind of pick for, pick from, are very, um, like, peonies as kind of, like, your wedding flower, like, main wedding flower, or calla lilies. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm probably going to go with peonies. And the reason for that is that peonies are usually in bloom in the summer. And Mm. I'm a huge fan of summer weddings. And I love just, especially when you look at peonies and like a bouquet, 
um, or in centerpieces, they're such a great focal point um, and they really bring your eye to them. So I think mm. I'll go with peonies. I like that. I like that a lot. What about you, Tania? I'm going to say peonies as well. I just love that flower. Um, I know it can be on a pricey side, but I don't care. I love it. <laughs> that is funny um i think i will probably opt for peonies as well um i mean calla lilies are fine but i don't know it's just something kind of lush about a good peonies yes okay so Mm -hmm. yes all right next round so when it comes to food at your multicultural wedding are you going to opt for the catering come from like a traditional catering company or are you going to find a restaurant that also specializes in catering? Yeah, I think I'm going to throw my business to the restaurant. And the reason for that is they are probably going to have those flavors down pat, like the spices yeah. are going to be on point. And I also love that you get to maybe support a smaller business. Yeah. Um, who might not typically get, you know, a wedding client. So I like that. You said think, my answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I was to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm going to be the same as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate the term foodie as much as possible, but I am a foodie and I really do like supporting small businesses, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, like in the state, that we're currently in where, you know, um, some of these restaurants are on the verge of failing and having to shut Mm -hmm. down for good. Um, I would love, and I mean, even for my, our home elopement we're going to do in October where we've reached out to like one of our favorite restaurants so that they can provide our meal for us that day instead of going with the traditional catering route. So very nice answers all around. And so, okay. Last when it comes down to the venue for your interfaith wedding, are you going to have it at a, like a, a religious building? So it doesn't necessarily have to be like a traditional church, but it could be some sort of building that is still um, very closely tied to a specific religion or faith. Or are you going to go with like a blank slate venue that's usually just kind of like very open white walls or like brick or, you know, kind of the exposed brick kind of industrial aesthetic um, with like the nice kind of concrete floors or whatever type of, you know, it's a very much you make this venue what you want it to be. So which route would you go? I would go with the second option, the more modern, neutral option um because i think you know if you pick a place that has a tie to one faith versus another one Mm -hmm. um you know it might exclude or make people feel a little uncomfortable being in that space so i just like being on neutral uh kind of even ground makes sense makes sense okay what about you tania i want to go with the exposed brick and that's actually, you know, what I actually want in the future. So exposed okay. brick. Mm-hmm. Okay. I um, would probably go the same route unless um, this were a very beautiful building that we both have decided that, you know, we're going to 
come here and, you know, or if it's the place that we're already going to, um, if we've decided to, you know, like find a place that fits both of our needs, um, that would probably be my only reason for going with kind of like more of the religious building. But, um, I'm, I'm very much like y'all. I love a good blank slate venue. Um, the venue that my fiance and I have selected for our renewal or whatever we're doing next year. Um, it's very much a blank slate type of venue. So we, we were all the same down the line. Yes. (laughs) So much for diversity. I know. Right. (laughs) But great minds. Yes. 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 Exactly. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, um, hold on we are going to listen to this ad really quickly and then we'll be back with a very very fun conversation with courtney rose so we'll be right back ashley and i would love for you to go to itunes after you listen to this episode of course and let us know how much you love us or offer us some feedback we would really appreciate that and that would help us out a lot we wish you all much love and success now let's get back into this episode and we're back. Welcome um, back again. I hope you guys didn't skip over the ad and listen to it. <laughs> but we're going to get into, of course, the conversation tonight. And so um, we're really just speaking about like multicultural and like interfaith weddings um, more specifically because this isn't, you know, like 40 or 50 or even like 70 years ago where a lot of couples are you know, just basically meeting within their own kind of like friend groups or, or, you know, the people that they grew up with are very much all look the same, all, you know, like go to the same church, go to the same like schools and stuff like that. You know, we're a very diverse group now. So we are a lot more open, I think, than say our parents and our grandparents to date people that don't look like us and don't, you know, necessarily, they weren't brought up in the same manner as we were brought up in, but we've still found commonalities and, you know, there's still love in all of that. So um, we are talking to Courtney Rose about, you know, the blend that you can incorporate into your own weddings or your um, wedding activities so that you can still honor both of your backgrounds and both of your face if you see fit. So just to kind of get started, you know, some people listening to this are like, Girl, I don't even know what any of that means. So first, can you even define, uh, obviously, I mean, people are aware of multicultural, but can you define multicultural and interfaith as it relates to, say, weddings and couples, um, for those that just honestly have no idea? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So these terms, uh, multicultural and interfaith, aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. So you know, you could definitely have a wedding that is both multicultural as well as interfaith. Um, But when we're talking about a multicultural wedding, it is the union of two people who may be from different countries, different races, or different ethnic or cultural identities. And you might also hear this term interchanged with interracial, um, an interracial wedding. 
Um, and then an interfaith wedding, on the other hand, is the union of two people who are from different religious or faith backgrounds. Makes a lot of sense. So glad we got that out the way, just in case someone, you know, was listening to this whole thing and they're like, oh, I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you for that explanation. And honestly, I never would have thought of interracial and multicultural kind of going hand in hand, but I guess it does make sense. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know. I never would have thought of it that way. Cause I, I, for some reason, like when I think of multicultural, I just think of people that were like born in different countries or had different kind of like ethnic backgrounds. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know why that ne- didn't necessarily translate to essentially interracial, but anyway, anyway. So tell us about your own wedding. Yeah, sure. Um, so my husband and I met in 2011, got engaged in 2012, and we planned and hosted our wedding in 2013. Um, so it's quite the little a whirlwind romance, but we actually just celebrated seven years of marriage last week. Oh, congratulations. Ooh, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. And so here we are, a whole baby and uh, two dogs later. <laughs> um, <Aww>. but, uh, <laughs> so, um, Ashley, I know you're engaged. And for engaged folks that are listening to this podcast, thinking back to what that moment looked like for you when you started planning your wedding, you know, you hop on Pinterest, or maybe you already had a secret Pinterest board that only you and your best friend knew about. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you two probably know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, you start following different blogs and Instagram pages for inspiration. Um, now for me, these platforms existed, you know, Instagram was a thing, Pinterest was a thing. But the issue I ran into very early on was that not only were there very few accessible images of Black brides and weddings that resonated with my personal style and aesthetic, but on top of that, uh, my fiance and I were going to be planning an interfaith and multicultural wedding. Um, I was raised as a follower of Christ in the AME church, and my fiance, now husband, was raised culturally and religiously Jewish. Um, so in our relationship, we have always embraced and celebrated each other's backgrounds. So there was never a question as to whether we would be celebrating and including elements from both of our backgrounds on our wedding day. But the challenge that we ran into very early on in the planning process was that there was no blueprint for us. There were no workbooks or guides or templates or inspiration photos. Um, you know, we maybe stumbled on a couple of message boards with scattered advice here and there. Um, and other than that, my only cultural reference for a Black and Jewish wedding was Tony and Todd on the TV show Girlfriends. Yes! And- <laughs> <laughs> that is so true, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, like, think about what are other examples? And um, we right. definitely did not have Tony and Todd money for a wedding so (laughs) (laughs) well look they barely had tony and todd so so what ended up being really key for us in the wedding planning process um, was conversations with family members about what traditions or elements we should include in our day and we were also really fortunate to find a rabbi 
who literally wrote the book on interfaith marriages. Um, and as a part of our work together, we held pre-counseling sessions with him to not only talk about what our wedding day would look like, but to also uncover what our life would look like together as an interfaith um, and multicultural couple. And um, for those of you listening, no matter what your faith background is, I absolutely recommend at least having the conversation or a series of structured conversations about what faith looks like to you and the role you want that to play in your life together. Um, because even for folks who are coming from the same faith background, there could still be a, a misalignment of values. Um, so I know that those pre-wedding conversations were absolutely key for us and not only helped us define a roadmap for our wedding day, but also in our lives. So onto the fun of our wedding day. Um, it was truly a blending of our cultures and our faith and our families and our friends. And because we were having an interfaith wedding, it was important for us to pick a venue that was uh, neutral, kind of what we were talking about with that this or that game. So <laughs> we didn't want to pick a church. We didn't want to pick a synagogue. So we picked a historic mansion just outside of D.C., um, had beautiful um, gardens that we got married in because we really valued being outside and being in nature for our wedding. Um, and so then before our ceremony even began, we actually saw each other. We did a first look with our photographer. Nice. Um, then, yeah. <laughs> and I was listening to another episode um, of the podcast about the first look. So that was, um, yeah. that was yeah. really interesting to hear how that tradition has grown in popularity. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So after we did our first look, um, we actually kind of got married before we even had the ceremony. So in the Jewish tradition, couples sign a wedding contract called a ketubah. um, And we actually wrote our own ketubah um, because we just didn't find anything that really reflected who we were. So all of our family and friends gathered together in the great room of the mansion where we were getting married and they watched on as we signed this document together. Um, And we actually have this framed and it hangs in our bedroom. And it's just this really important reminder of the life that we've committed to building with each other. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So following the signing of the ketubah, um, we proceeded with the ceremony processional. Um, Both my husband and I had both of our parents walking us down the aisle, um, which was pretty meaningful and special to us. I actually walked down the aisle holding both my bouquet and a family heirloom Bible that was that my husband's grandmother has kept in the family. And she shared it with me to um, incorporate on our, our wedding day to kind of carry on that familial legacy. And what she does is she writes everyone's wedding dates and their names in the back of the Bible. So it was, it was really special, like holding this piece of um, family history. Oh my gosh. An aisle. Yeah. And, and for her to share that with me as, you know, this new family member was um, really meaningful. Yeah. I really like that idea. Yeah. I may, you know... You may that. have started something. Yeah, you may have started yeah, something. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is very, very sweet. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It, it is. Yeah, put that one in your pocket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, throughout the ceremony, um, my brothers, my younger brothers, actually, they read a couple of my favorite uh, Bible scriptures. My beautiful late aunt, she sang the Lord's Prayer. Um, and then we also did what's called um, the Seven Blessings, which is another Jewish tradition. 
Um, and these are blessings that are pre-written and you assign them to family and friends to read during your ceremony. Um, so our modern spin on it was that they had to be written in English because I do not speak Hebrew and neither did most of our guests. So we definitely didn't want there to be any uh, language barriers there. Uh, but what I loved the most about that moment was that these blessings included hopes and wishes for love, for us building a, a happy home together built on humor and laughter and play and wishes for wisdom and health and building community. And we also decided to add an additional blessing um, and our hope for marriage equality, um, because at the time, all couples didn't have the right to get married. So it felt really strange to us that we could celebrate our love, but that we had, you know, we still had friends and family and attendants who didn't have that right legally. And being an interracial couple, you know, we're also painfully aware of the fact that our union would have also been illegal at one point in time. Um, so it was really important for us to mark that during our ceremony. And um, and then we ended the ceremony with our own personal vows. We broke the glass, uh, which is another Jewish tradition. And we jumped the broom, which is an African-American wedding tradition. So as you can hear, it was a big blended melting pot of uh, different traditions and family legacy um, that were all just so special and meaningful to us. And I love like how you all incorporated everything in a way like you all still held on to your traditions. And so I love that. I absolutely love that. My next question, um, is it necessary to get the family's blessing to blend the cultures or the faith in the wedding activities? Yeah, that's a great question. And as a wedding planner, I'm always a big, a big believer in couples doing what they want to do and not necessarily just doing what their parents want them to do or what they think that their parents want them to do. Um, but that said, it's always, in my opinion, a good idea to give your parents or other family members a heads up about any changes you, be, you may be making to tradition um, or even just seeking out their guidance. Um, there may be some really sacred element of your culture or faith background that you don't want to get wrong or mess up on your wedding day. And reaching out to family um, is probably a very good idea in that instance. And of course, it's my hope for all engaged couples that their families are going to be supportive, especially when they're, you know, blending their culture or faith with their partner's culture or faith. Unfortunately for my husband and I, we're, we're very blessed in the fact that we have incredibly supportive family members that were just like, whatever you want to do, we're here for it. We just want to support you. We love you. But I know for some couples, that's not always their experience. Um, there may be some challenging dynamics or a parent or guardian um, or grandparent is having a difficult time because their child or grandchild is marrying someone from a different background. And sometimes for the family, this can feel like an outright rejection of the family or in the family's faith or the family's culture. And that, that really sucks, you know, it puts the couple in a really uncomfortable position. Yeah. But, you know, if that family member is important to you, include them as much as you can or you feel is appropriate. 
Um, and sometimes just inviting them into the planning process and, and having them take an active role in your day can be just that little nudge they need to get on board. It's never easy. Um, no, not at all. And I'm happy that, you know, for you, um, you know, like it was a smooth transition into the family. But as mm-hmm. you were saying, you know, like it's not as easy for other couples. I actually have a family member. Um, of course, he's black and um, his girlfriend is Indian. And um, like, I know that he wanted to propose, um, I, I think, like this weekend, actually. But that didn't happen. But I think a lot of that had to do with the family dynamic. So like, it's never easy, never easy. Um, I'm happy that it was not as difficult for you. Oh, yeah. You know, some of us can just be so, and I say some of us, and I, well, I mean, yeah, people our age, but even older folks of all races can be extremely stuck in their ways. So yeah, I'm glad that also worked out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so this question, I don't think I really have an opinion one way or another about this question that I'm about to ask, but I feel like other people might have like feel this way. Um, so do you, and obviously I know your answer is no, but <laughs> is it blasphemous <laughs> for interracial couples to jump the broom? Why or why not? Which obviously why not? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yes. I was like, Ooh, we, gonna ruffle some feathers with this one but yeah um <laughs> <laughs> we're shaking tables this season <laughs> yes shake it up um so i would i would say it is not blasphemous that's my short answer um but i will tell you why i think when you're planning a multicultural or interfaith or interracial wedding it's definitely important to consider who and i'm like making air quotes right now um owns particular traditions right and to be very mindful of that thin line between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation and that is why this particular dialogue or this particular question is is such an important part of planning a multicultural or interfaith wedding. And and when we think about why Black people in this country jump the broom, and for those of you listening that may not know or may not have ever been to a Black wedding before, during slavery, enslaved Black people were excluded from having the right to legally marry. Um, because they were considered property. They weren't free. And as a result, they could not make those decisions for themselves. And symbolically, whether that was done in the open or done defiantly in secret, um, jumping the broom symbolized the sweeping away of the couple's former single selves and jumping into a new life together as a married couple. And sadly, you know, I feel like we're seeing the tradition of jumping the broom less and less in weddings today. I don't know if, if that's you all's experience. I'm noticing mm-hmm. that too. Yeah. yeah, same here. Same here. Yeah. And it could be because, you know, we're now many generations removed from that time. And um, I don't know, people just feel like it's it's not relevant anymore. But I think it's critically important for Black people, um, Black couples, and multicultural or interracial couples to continue to include this tradition on their wedding days. I think it pays homage to our ancestors. And I talked about this a little bit earlier, but it was not that long ago that interracial marriage was illegal in the United States. 
I mean, we're talking about 53 years. And, you know, I marvel at the incredible sacrifice of you know, just regular, ordinary people like Mildred and Richard Loving, who just wanted to be together and had to take, you know, basically take their love to the Supreme Court of the United States for it to be recognized. And without their ultimate sacrifice, you know, couples like my husband and I might not be married today. So Jumping the Broom, I think, is both a revolutionary act and a glorious celebration of how far we've come. Um, and also a reminder that our shared dreams of equality and justice in this country um, are not yet fully realized. Ooh, that was a very good answer. That was a good sound bite too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so true. I mean, we've all been, I feel like, so hypersensitive to race in the last, like, what, three months. I mean, you know, for some of us, it's a thing that we live and breathe every single day. But you have these instances that, you know, appear in the news. And I mean, even mo most recently, Jacob Blake, um, just a few days mm -hmm. ago. And so it's, it's, it's like these little reminders of we still have so far to go, even though we've still come such a long way. And I, I, I mean, I will be qu quite honest with you. I've never thought that I would jump the broom. Like my fiance and I have never said that that's something we want to do, but just how you explained it just then and how you just broke down the reasoning for it. I feel like when this recording is done, I'm going to have a conversation with him and say like, Hey, we actually should incorporate this in our October wedding. And what are your yeah. thoughts? So, Yay. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, there, yeah. I mean, we can't turn our backs or feel like we're too good um, to do things or to kind of honor the ways that the people that have come before us have had to do. Um, just because, yeah, we might have quote unquote more liberties now, or, you know, we can get married now, but what's wrong with even just still that little nod to all of those people that came before you. I mean, it's the same way that people are like, oh, you need to go and vote because mm. people died for your right to vote. It's almost the exact same thing. It you really can is. jump the broom for the exact same reason you're saying someone should go vote. Anyway. <laughs> Next question. Does it cost more to blend multiple cultures and faiths into a wedding ceremony? Yeah, so I would say that this all depends on what the couple wants. and isn't necessarily just a given because it's a multicultural or interfaith wedding. I think if it's important for a couple to have a multi-day celebration, I think this is kind of that picture that most often comes to mind when you think about multicultural celebrations. The cost can definitely add up, you know, especially when we're talking about multiple events in any one given week or weekend or spread out across multiple dates in different cities or countries even. Um, however, there are some ways to work around this. So instead of having two separate ceremonies, you might decide to, com to combine both faith traditions into one ceremony. And some officiants are open to performing um, a wedding ceremony jointly with an officiant of a different faith or culture. And in this way, 
both cultures can be recognized and honored by someone who is very familiar with the traditions and the couple can each have their own unique um, perspectives included. So I think there's definitely some ways to kind of work around multiple celebrations, multiple events and doing it affordably. So definitely not a requirement that it has to be an expensive event. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because those frugal girls out there, you know, like me, mm-hmm. I'm sure they're wondering. <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah. Okay, but that's good to know. I was actually going to, like, call you out if you didn't call yourself out about being frugal, <laughs> but I'm glad you did. So. I am not ashamed. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not about, you know, throwing all your, your coins. Um I won't say away, but spending all your yeah. coins on your wedding yeah. day, it's its not a requirement. <laughs> weddings can get very, very expensive. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so, like, I know, like, the blending of the cultures and everything, you know, like, as far as, like, the food and then the decor, yeah, that can definitely get expensive. And so, you know, I'm, like, I'm happy to know that there is, like, a happy medium. Definitely. And a lot of people, I think, sometimes do stuff to appease other people or to, you know, they, they're trying to have an Instagram wedding. And it's like, okay, you could always do a lot of things without having to spend a lot of money. Like, there's yeah. so many mm-hmm. ways you can do the things that, you know, like incorporate certain things into your wedding um, without having to blow out the bank. Um, all right. So... Let's think about, say, a Jamaican-German couple. Um, Can you give us maybe five ways of how that, like, couple could intertwine their cultures into their wedding day? Yeah, I love that that combination. It's going to be really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the, the first big one here is the ceremony. So we know that okay. the ceremony is that op- that opportunity for couples to have the biggest impact on their wedding day. So, you know, finding ways to intertwine different traditions um, and really setting the mood. And this is also the opportunity, you know, when the couple gets to be the most vulnerable and real and honest with each other. Um, and this is going to have a huge impact on their guests. So thinking about a Jamaican and German couple, I definitely see the opportunity to um, integrate some German language into the ceremony, um, especially if we have some German guests in attendance. Um, you know, maybe our program is printed in both English Um, in German, and maybe a couple of Patois words are thrown in there too. So that could be interesting. And then I could definitely see some traditional garb being worn during the ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um, Another example has got to be the music. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. (laughs) You know, like you already know that reception is about to be fire. You have to have the horns. Up. Yes. <laughs> every five seconds. Yes, every right. five seconds. <laughs> um, oh, I'm from I know I'm from it. Yes. 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 And you're going to have somebody who's leading, you know, a little dance portion during yes. the reception. It's going to be teaching us all the latest dance hall yes. um, steps and moves. And then maybe even during cocktail hour, you know, we have a little German band that's set up um, so that we get a little taste of German music, too. 
Yes. Third example, it's going to be food and beverage. Like we know that that's going to be huge. And there's an opportunity for couples planning um, multicultural weddings to do fun stuff like having stations set up around their reception. So maybe Mm. instead of, you know, a plated meal during their reception, they have interactive stations with chefs that feature different cuisines. So Maybe you have one station with, you know, rice and peas and plantains and jerk chicken. And then at another station, you've got the German sausages and sauerkraut and mustard set up um, so that you're getting a taste of the two different cultures. And I think you can also have a lot of fun with your beverage menu. So thinking about the flavors that are really representative of your culture and including those and signature cocktail offerings is also, um, you know, a really fun idea. And then I, I think it's really important with, with anything you're doing because some things are going to be new experiences for people. And you know how sometimes people are adverse to trying new things and experiencing different cultures is just to label everything. So labeling what the ingredients are, explaining what the origin of things um, things are on different little menus or signage that's around their reception space. Um, and that just makes people feel more comfortable. That makes so much sense because I'm just thinking about my grandma and when I was like mentioning to her the different catering options, she was like, mm, I only eat chicken. Like, <laughs> why would you offer us like seafood or why would you offer like anything else and i'm thinking because just because you are the only one that eats chicken doesn't mean everyone else here eats chicken like we have vegans coming to this wedding you have other people that are coming so i would love that oh gosh yeah especially in the food like breaking everything down there would still probably be a way to kind of make it more palatable to those with the very like basic palates or whatever Um, but it's like, if you want to be kind of courageous and explore these two different cultures at the same time, enjoy yourself, go crazy. And then now you can tell what you had instead of trying to recall like, Ooh, I think I had a sausage, but I can't remember what it was called. (laughs) It's like, they had everything kind of labeled. Um, yeah. Oh gosh. Now I want to go to a Jamaican and German wedding. I don't even know right? when that's Jamaican. And I German. know. I'm like, I want to plan this wedding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would also say um, invitations are another example of you know how you can showcase your cultures. Um, kind of playing back on that bilingual thing. You know, you maybe feature kind of a dual sided invitation. One side's in English one side's in German. Um, And then you can also get really creative and personal with um, wedding invite details. So if there's a particular um, piece of art, cultural art, or maybe a piece of fabric um, that's very representative of your culture, you could kind of use that as a tie-in into the invitation um, and kind of use that consistently throughout. So it could be a detail on the invitation itself, maybe used in the liner of the envelopes featured somewhere on the RSVP card. And then that way you're really kind of branding your wedding invitation suite materials. I love it. And, um, another example would be to take advantage of all of your pre-wedding events. 
Um, so to not feel like you have to jam pack everything into one day, but if you have a year long engagement, you're going to have maybe your engagement party and your rehearsal dinner and your wedding shower. And there are all of these opportunities to find ways to incorporate and celebrate your cultural backgrounds and it not just be limited to your wedding day. I really love those breakdowns because look, if you were listening to this, it's really showing you that you don't have to try to throw all of these, um, ideas into one element of the wedding like you can really just stick with one if you want to you know honor the two cultures you can just do it with the food or you can just do it with the food and maybe the like engagement party or another element of the day you don't have to make it very stereotypical or very like over the top um there are just multiple ways that you can incorporate these cultures Love that. Love, love, love your answer. I love a good full answer. Oh my gosh. Okay. Next question. So what about like, how could one incorporate like say the culture in their engagement photo shoot? Yes. I love this idea so much. Um, cause there are so many possibilities here. So, um, if there is a traditional, you know, garb that's maybe worn, this is a really great opportunity to feature that, especially if you're thinking of a more traditional um, outfit for your wedding day, this is that opportunity for you to, to really feature that as maybe one of your outfit choices during your engagement shoot. And then another option, now this is pending us, you know, getting that Rona free travel card again, but <laughs> once we get the call clear and let's say one of you is from a different country um go to that country and take your engagement photos there and then you can use those same images on your save the dates your wedding website on the welcome table at your wedding reception and that's just another really great way to kind of infuse that piece of your culture and background throughout the entire, you know, wedding planning process and um, in many different ways. I like it. Now, I think you can travel to Jamaica right now, but you can't travel to Germany. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if there is a Jamaican and German couple listening <laughs> to the show, you can at least get half of your photos done. <laughs> and then you might just have to wait. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You'll figure uh, something out, I'm sure. <laughs> I know. Soon, soon, yeah. friends. Yeah. Right. I know Fingers recently, um, like, I think a lot of the islands are shutting back down just because, like, the numbers are going up. And the only reason oh. why I know this is because I have, um, I have friends that live in the islands. So, yeah, so it's getting crazy. Like, they opened up for a second, and I think, like, they're now, like, closing back down. Who knows? Like, where this whole thing is taking us, but yeah, but soon, as you all were saying, <laughs> soon and very soon. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yes. hopefully. Um, what vendors are important when creating a multicultural and or interfaith wedding? Yes. So professional bias here, but your wedding planner is going to be absolutely clutch. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, of course. <laughs> yes, and if not a planner, a coordinator who 
you are able to build a relationship with and share the importance of your multicultural or interfaith wedding vision with. Um, because your planner or coordinator is going to be able to help you uncover what's most important to you and also help you identify all of the other vendors that can help bring that vision to life. Um, so another vendor is going to be your caterer. So especially if you're interested in featuring dishes from your background and culture into your wedding, dinner, or meal, um, you're going to want to find a company that has experience with that kind of cuisine or one that is willing to do the research and trial and error necessary to get those flavors right. Now, something that engaged couples might run into is exclusive caterer relationships at the venue that you oh, might be yeah. interested in. Yeah. Yes. So mm. you might have your heart set on this particular venue, but you want to work with this caterer that's not on the list um and the caterer you know hasn't worked there before um but i say ask the venue anyway you win because you're gonna get to include the food you love on your wedding day and then your caterer wins because you've created this new business opportunity for them um and i think especially now as wedding people in the wedding industry are, are exposing more and more how a lot of these exclusive vendor lists are just that exclusive and that they feature no brown or black people on them. Um, it's kind of a good opportunity to, to highlight that and, and potentially get a caterer that you really want to work with on your wedding day. I think that's a very good idea. Of course, it may cost you a little bit, but, mm -hmm. but you know, in order to get what you want, you know, of course, it comes with a price tag, but oh yeah, but I think that's a very good idea. Everything yeah. in wedding planning, well, yeah, but you're right, you're right. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, and I, I wouldn't have even thought about the, um, like the outside vendors or whatever, mm -hmm. and like possibly even having to, you know, stick with one because of this venue or you know paying like mm -hmm. extra fifteen or two thousand, you know. Years later, they'll remember the food. All right, so what characteristics in the different vendors, so like the caterers, um, and of course, like the other wedding vendors, um, reveal how accommodating they are um, to one's wedding? So um, not just like the multicultural weddings or not just the like interfaith weddings, but say it's an LGBTQ wedding you know um what type of vendors like how do you like are there red flags or are there certain things that one should be a little bit more cognizant of when they're trying to select these vendors for their day that is such a great question and i am a firm believer in encouraging engaged couples to be mindful and thoughtful when choosing their wedding vendors to seek out vendors that are inclusive and actually reflect that in their business. Um, so I say search specifically for vendors who are also black or people of color or LGBTQ plus and or represent a community whom you would like to support. Then go a step further than that. So look past what they say 
you know, a lot of people can put little stickers up on their website that say they're LGBTQ plus friendly. Um, right. Or, you know, they, they put up a black square back in June. But <laughs> right. <laughs> you want to look at what they actually do and how their actions match um, their, their words. Um, and if the vendor isn't from one of these communities, is their staff diverse? Does that vendor feature couples who are multicultural or interracial or LGBTQ plus? Do they advertise in publications that resonate with you? What do they post on their website and their social media channels? And if you're asking those questions and those things aren't really reflected with a vendor, um, but you still really want to work with them because you like their work, ask them. Just ask where they stand on that and, and maybe why their portfolio isn't reflective of these different communities. Um, and you can ask very pointed questions like, what is your experience uh, working with multicultural or interfaith or LGBT, LGBTQ plus couples? How will they help you navigate the challenges of intertwining both of your backgrounds or cultures um, into your wedding day? And if you're not happy with those responses, as much as you may love their portfolio of work, it's probably time to move on um, and find someone who really is reflective of those values. We heard from um, some hosts from another um, wedding podcast that, you know, after, I guess, George Floyd was murdered in May, that there were brides that were starting to look at their vendors differently because their vendors didn't speak out or their vendors continued on as you know, business as usual. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I definitely agree with like doing that true due diligence of um, figuring out what vendors are right for you, but then also like really look at everything, like go to their website, look at the reviews, look at the photos they're putting up. Do these people look like you? Do these people look like your friends? Um, and really doing a real soul search there because you know, not everyone um, is actually here for you. And outside of, say, the wedding industry, yeah, they might be fine to take your money to, you know, like perform a service or do something for you for a few hours on your actual wedding day. But if they were to run into you in the street outside of this context, how would they treat you? How would they treat your loved ones? Um, so I think we're definitely at a stage now where, people are taking that more seriously. Like we're, we're not just, you know, the Instagram photos aren't it for us anymore. <laughs> um, all right. So we got three more for you. Um, so kind of like switching back to wedding planning, what are the struggles in planning, say a multicultural wedding or an interfaith wedding? Yeah. I, so my answer is probably not even just limited to multi to multicultural or or interfaith wedding planning but it's it has to be the role that family plays in your day and i think mm. that wedding mm. days across the board and the lead up to weddings are so emotional so exciting yet so stressful <laughs> you know they're all of all of the feelings all of the emotions right. all of the things and unfortunately sometimes the people that we love the most can make our experience 
the most stressful. And what I associate this with is that in the like jumble of getting engaged and announcing it to your family and friends and then diving right into wedding planning, a lot of couples forget to take that beat and kind of stop and take a moment to really clearly articulate what their wedding values are and what their vision is for their wedding day. And when the couple fails to do this, in your family's view, everything is up for grabs because you have not told them any differently. Mm. You know, so I say that counter a great way to kind of counteract this is for you and your fiance to to sit down and say, okay, let's let's talk about what our values are for our wedding day. What's what's most important to us? What does that menu look like? What's what's the setting for our wedding? Um, who do we want to marry us? Who what what kind of guest count do we want? Um, who's going to pay for it? And kind of having that values conversation from the start, so that when those questions start popping up, you're already prepared and you know what you want that to look like. And then kind of getting ahead of it and articulating that clearly to uh, your parents and other family and friends. Um, So, you know, getting together over lunch or dinner or, you know, in these times, a video call um, or even a letter, if it's, if you think it's going to be a really awkward conversation, um, just to kind of share what you've planned and how you envision including that family member or family members in your wedding day. And that just helps like set this solid foundation that doesn't leave so many gaps or holes or questions in the wedding planning process. And you as a couple really get to drive the process. Very good answer. Yes. So basically, it's it's the family's fault. <laughs> <laughs> the Most stubborn of the time. time. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's yeah. these like smaller intimate weddings come into play or an elopement come into play. So Oh, definitely. You can just yeah. cut all that noise cut all that noise out and mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. Go small. Not have to deal with it, yeah. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Um, What are the biggest misconceptions about these types of weddings? Yeah, so I'd say for um, interfaith weddings, probably a big misconception is that they are like watered-down versions of each respective faith, um, when in fact it's really an opportunity to highlight and celebrate the elements that are most meaningful and special to each partner within the couple, um, you know, to share that with their family and friends. And uh, biggest misconceptions about uh, multicultural weddings, probably getting back to what we were talking about, about the you know, kind of this general view that all multicultural weddings are these really elaborate and extravagant celebrations. And really your wedding, regardless if you share a cultural background or not, it should be planned based on logistics, costs, location. And sometimes that might include an elaborate multi-day celebration. And for other couples, it's going to look like that, you know, elopement 
you know, elopement or minimony in the backyard with 25 of your closest family and friends. So yeah, there's no right or wrong way to uh, have a multicultural wedding, despite what the wedding industry is telling you what a multicultural wedding is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, in my opinion, being subtle and going simple with your design um, can actually go a really long way when you are planning a multicultural wedding because, you know, otherwise you could run the risk of your design going totally left because um, it's not always easy to incorporate so many different colors, you know, that are reflective mm-hmm. of different cultures and these elaborate designs. But just by adding a few touches here and there can be really stunning when planning your decor And maybe instead of going like super opulent and extravagant with all of these, you know, exotic flowers flown in from um, your country of origin, maybe you're just bringing in a few blooms and then you're accenting those with locally sourced flowers. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Or just weaving in little details like fabric into the day. Um, So it's definitely possible to integrate those elements from your respective cultures without going, you know, totally nuts. And I'm happy that you actually said that just because um, I think Ashley said this earlier, you know, like everyone is trying to compete and everyone wants this Instagram worthy wedding. I remember talking to, I can't remember who we talked to, but basically, you know, like she was like, yeah, you know, like I was like one of like the last of my friends to get married. And so, you know, like I had to make sure that, that I, I didn't want to copy them, you know? So everyone is trying to compete against one another. And so I think it's, you know, a good thing that you said that you don't always have to create these opulent and extravagant weddings. Um, You know, just adding like these simple pieces to your day, you know, can be very, very beautiful as well. So I think, you know, a lot of women definitely needed to hear that. Good. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think focusing on the couple, you know, focusing on you and your love story. Yeah. And if you have a bomb photographer, like that's what's going to be most compelling. Like that's yeah. what's going to be the images that you want to share are the ones that just capture you and your partner so in love. And the details we love a good detailed, you know, tablescape and, and all mm-hmm. of that. But what sticks with you are those moments where you see the couple together or you see a look they're sharing or the smile on the bride or, you know, the bride's face or the groom tearing up as his, um, you know, bride is walking down the aisle. Um, it's those moments, I think, that are the most memorable the details are great, but it, it's it, it really the focus. Um, I want to see more couples get back to you know what's most important, and that's yeah. uh, what that's them. That's you know, celebration of their love. COVID is kind of making that happen. Yeah, a little bit, I think. But yeah, completely agree. All right, final question. So, what advice do you have to any couples that you know want to? either host their own multicultural or their own interfaith, if not both, um, wedding? Yeah. So I think it is so important when planning um, multicultural um, and or interfaith wedding to speak candidly and openly with your partner about how you envision your wedding day from the jump. And you're going to want to ask each other questions like, what traditions do we want to incorporate? 
what traditions or elements might we want to reclaim or change because the tradition as we know it doesn't really serve us well? Um, who do we want to marry us? And if you find yourself hitting roadblocks um, or totally at odds and unable to reach an agreement, that's when you need to pull that emergency lever you know, and call out for some professional help. And another piece of advice I would offer is to use your wedding day as an opportunity to educate um, your wedding guests about your different cultural or faith traditions. Because um, this might be the first time that someone is even getting exposed to your culture or faith. So it's kind of a responsibility you shouldn't take lightly. So there's so many opportunities to consider adding information about you know, different cultural or religious elements um, in your ceremony, adding those onto your wedding program or your wedding website. This could also include things like adding definitions or translations of different words or terms, or even including full readings or songs so that your guests can participate along with you during your ceremony. Um, and if you're planning to serve you know, different dishes, we talked about that labeling thing, and it's just little things like that. They're so simple, but taking the time to document this information for your guests uh, really kind of lowers some of those potential barriers to full participation for your guests on their wedding on your wedding day. Um, otherwise, if people don't feel like they know what's going on, it's more likely that they might check out or feel excluded. And um, finally, I would say give yourself permission to include or not include as many elements of your cultural or faith background as you, emphasis on you, and your partner would like. So, you know, it's, I, I think Tania, you were just saying this, it's so easy to get caught up in the game of topping someone else's wedding or bending to someone else's vision or expectation of your day. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when this happens, the result is either the couple ends up spending a lot more money than they anticipated on the day, and it ends up being a day that doesn't reflect who they are, or worse, they're resentful, and they feel like they've really missed out on what could have been because they were so caught up in someone else's vision of their wedding day. So true. You gave us some gems. <laughs> yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So essentially just be you, worry about you and mm -hmm. yours. Don't try to catch up or play catch up. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Always. Yeah. Cause like we all want our, we really only do this once, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, we all want our weddings to be beautiful, you know? But yeah, it's going to be beautiful in its respective way. You know, no matter how you do it, it's going to be beautiful. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> All right. Well, thank you so much for that, Courtney Rose. We're not going to let you go just yet. We're going to now transition to the unsolicited advice portion of the show, which is the moment I give usually engaged couples or brides or sometimes vendors uh, some advice that they didn't ask for because you get a lot of advice you didn't ask for when you get engaged. So this week's advice is when you go dress shopping, you don't need to bring heels. When you're going for the first time, you can literally just wear flats. Like it is perfectly fine. I don't care what 
wedding wire or the knot or anybody else said you really don't need heels you only really need heels when you get to the alteration stage of things and if you're chances are if you're buying your dress you're not there yet um, unless you waited or you decided to have a short engagement. Um, so that's it. Just save yourself some time, wear flats, be comfortable, you know, and enjoy yourself. That's all. That's my advice for this week, Tania. Very nice. Um, <laughs> I, guess, I, I guess now we'll move into the wedding vendor love. So, yes. Courtney Rose, I'll have you go first. Oh, right. Yeah. And I love that advice, actually. Thank you. Don't tear your feet up just yet. No. Wait, you got time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you for the opportunity to show some other wedding vendors some love. So I want to shout out three dope Black women wedding vendors in the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia area. So first... Um, is an incredibly talented wedding calligrapher. Um, that is Brittany of Signed by B Calligraphy at Signed by B on Instagram. And she does really dope acrylic event signage and other fun signs for around your home or for your business. And just thinking about the topic we discussed tonight, there are so many fun and vibrant ways to incorporate your culture or faith backgrounds into your ceremony and wedding with signage. So um, definitely look up Signed by B for your signage needs. Uh, Next two are both photographers. Um, So first is Geneva Washington of Images by Geneva. um, And her Instagram handle is at Images by Geneva. And she is a fun, loving photographer with a light and you know airy kind of vibe. And we have some fun projects in the works. And I just love how from the moment I met her, she has just been so encouraging and supportive. And literally every crazy idea I come with, she's like, yep, let's do it. So I appreciate her support. And when I say this woman hustles like she hustles she is everywhere in the dmv and um wonderful if you're looking for that kind of style of photography um and then finally um want to shout out morgan from morgan raquel and co photography um she like i am obsessed with her style of photography it's very moody Um, and the way that she just captures the sort of raw emotion of people, it's very candid, um, very in the moment. Um, she's just basically a whole vibe and, um, I can't wait to work with her. She also specializes in intimate weddings. So especially during these times, um, she's, uh, your woman for that. And y'all know me. I love good moody photography. Yes. So yes, she does. Yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm completely <laughs> here for it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to have you. All right, Tania. Yes, I already knew. I already knew. <laughs> um, so this week I'm going to shout out the husband, but then on the next episode, I'm going to shout out his wife because they are both in the wedding industry. He is a cinematographer. So 
you know, I love a good videographer and I love definitely finding very good black videographers that, you know, all black videographers, I'll be completely honest, but he has more of a fine art style. So you're still getting that moodiness um, and just kind of like a fly on the wall type of feel. So his name is Jamal Steed. I, Steve, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, his Instagram is Jamal. So not the double A, one A, Jamal, um, Steve, S-T-E-I-B. And you can see more of his work, but I mean, he's good. His wife is good. Like they're both really, really good. They're based in Louisiana. So I hope they're actually really safe right now with Laura, um, coming through, but they both have similar styles. They're both very complimentary. Um, Essentially, they're, and I guess, well, hey, since we're here, we're going to shout her out. Um, Steve Weddings is their kind of like videography, photography brand. So she handles the photography. He handles the videography of it all. And you get a beautiful piece of um, film and photos to cherish the rest of your life. So and I'm sure they travel, but they are based in Louisiana in the New Orleans and Baton Rouge area. So it's my vendor or vendors for this week. Okay. This week, I'm actually shouting out a florist. She's actually based in the D.C. area. Her name is Uche. She, okay, so I was scrolling on Instagram and I came across a style shoot on Black Bride. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is so pretty. Like, now, like it was full of pompous grass, but I had never seen pompous <laughs> grass look so like nice. Yeah. Anyways, so I was like, okay, so who is a florist? And she's black. She's Nigerian. And of course, she, um, as I said it before, she's located at the DMV area. Anyways, um, her Instagram is designs by Uche. Um, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but like, like she does arches. Of course, she does bouquets and boutonnieres and everything like that. But this picture, oh my gosh, like this is such a pretty style shoot. Um, oh, I think I see what you're talking about. Yes, like the way that she created this arch. And with it's like, the pompous grass. Oh yes, my with gosh. the pompous grass. Like, <laughs> yes, she she is amazing. She yes. is like oh the gosh. godmother. Oh my of gosh. Flowers. Oh my gosh. Yes. And also, and- also. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm just, ugh. Yeah. Because usually pompous grass, I mean, like, it's, I mean, like, how should I say this? Like, pompous grass is nice at times. Like, you don't always see it, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I have to have that, you know? But if you look at this picture, like, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, I need that in my life. Anyways, um, looking at all her other pictures, um, the way that she incorporates like the greenery and stuff like that, because I don't know if y'all remember uh, a couple episodes ago when we were talking to Lanil, you know, um, you know, flowers can get expensive and, you know, a lot of women do not like greenery, you know, Um, but greenery actually, you know, lowers the budget a little, you know. I'm not going to say a lot, but it definitely, you know, it can cushion the budget, I should say. And so um, the way that she incorporates the greenery, like, y'all, if y'all are in the DMV area, definitely look her up. Again, that is Designs by Uche. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. I Um, think so, because of how it's spelled, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah. but we'll have all of her information um, on our website. 
So, yeah, that's who I have this week. Well, thank you so, so much, Courtney Rose, for coming on. We hope we didn't take up too much of your time today, but you have given us so much information. Like, I... High key, I'm not even gonna say low key, but wanna bring you back to discuss <laughs> weddings more in detail and especially yes. um, I feel like we, we just we just scratched the surface today. I feel like we can go a little bit deeper. Um, yes. so Let's yeah. Do it. We'll circle but, back. No, this was Love this it. was the most this was the most fun I've had in weeks. So um, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. Thank yes, you for coming welcome. on and you know, like entertaining all of our questions and whatnot. Yes. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Awesome. So where can people find you if they want to know more or, you know, if they're in the area and they need someone to help them plan their own like unique wedding? Yes, absolutely. Um, so folks can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Dantus and Co events. That's all spelled out. D-A-N-T-U-S-A-N-D-C-O-E. B-E-N-T-S. Um, my website is dantisandco.com. Um, and we specialize in full wedding planning, wedding management, um, and shifting a bit to intimate weddings at the moment. So I would love to be in touch with you if you're in the DC area or beyond. Um, let's bring that wedding vision to life. Good stuff. Good stuff. If you're listening, I hope you are fixing your phone to follow her on Instagram right now. Tania. Yes. Where can they find us? You can find us at HeWideWed on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. You can follow us um, on our website at HeWideWed.com. And you can follow Ashley on Twitter and on Instagram at DemiTosh. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Belsaree. Um, if you do not know how to spell those, just go to the Who I Do Wed on Instagram and all of our information is located in the description box or, you know, over there. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Good stuff, Tania. <laughs> Y'all, I always mess this up, so... <laughs> <laughs> you I say did every good. week. You I did, say you every did week, but <laughs> <laughs> I always seem to oh, leave out something. Good. <laughs> it's okay. All good. All good. Well, again, thank you so so much for coming on and talking with us tonight, Courtney Rose. Um, we hope you have a very wonderful night, and I guess we'll talk to you. This won't be the last time. We'll talk yeah, to you again. No, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. And you all stay safe, and um, yeah, congrats again on uh, you. your anniversary. Thank you. All right, we'll have a good night. Again. All right. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye.